From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to a full hour of sports analytics here on SiriusXM. This is Cade Massey with all of my regular guests, my regular co-hosts, not my guests, my colleagues, my co-hosts, co-founders of this show, Audie Weiner, who is making his way across town by foot right now, but is going to be in here. Shane Jensen, Eric Bradlow, the usual crew. This is Monday afternoon. We're recording Monday afternoon instead of Tuesday. Schedules conspired against a Tuesday, but it's kind of fun because this is the day after the Super Bowl. As our esteemed boss, Matty Datsman, says, last time to talk football, guys, at least real football, beginning about 15 minutes from now, we'll start talking about the NFL draft, I'm sure. But this is the last game to kind of sink our teeth into and wallow in for a little while and cling to as they try to wrest it from us for the next seven months. So that's what we'll do. We'll note in passing that Caitlin Clark is about to pass the all-time scoring mark, women's basketball. She should do that Thursday against Michigan, which is a pretty cool story. I urge you to dig into that. There was something else bouncing around. Pitchers and catchers report. I hear these Beautiful words are being spoken momentarily, 48 hours from now or something like pitchers and catchers report. Time to talk baseball again. That's fun. That's the right time of year. But before we get to that, we got about 15, 20 minutes, open lines on the Super Bowl. We have our friend Seth Walder in for the second half of the show. Seth is an ESPN analyst. He's kind of the communicator of ESPN analytics, frequent guest of the show one of our favorite guests, and we'll talk football with him. We dig into the analytics of game management stuff that got so much controversy and attention coming out of last night's game. So setting that aside at least a little bit and um, just kind of looking at the bigger picture, I'm interested, fellas, in what y'all think were the most important factors in the game, what most stood out to you. And I really mean, you know, kind of from an effect size perspective. If you were going to start at the top of the list as a football analyst, football observer, supposed football expert, top of the list, most important factors in driving that game last night, what do you think it is? What's on your list? Let's do a little bit of a round robin, find out what you think the most important factors were. Audie wants to go first. Audie. I do. It's it's a bit of a lame answer, but I think it has to do with randomness. (laughs) So there are lots lots of things that are just not predictable, like that crazy punt return. Um, and the extra point, I mean, these are really rare events, really rare. I mean, the missing extra point was like one in like one, two or two and a hundred. I was 68 for 68 on the season, Audie, before that extra point. Okay. But still, you know, we'll shrink a little bit towards, towards, uh, towards zero from away from zero and that punt and that, you know, and those things are, they're different in the game, right? Now. And so I hate to say it. That's what I'm throwing it at. I mean, these teams are very evenly matched. When, 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 when this is this is the very definition. This is Michael Mobison's observation: the paradox of skill. When when people are trying to beat the market are equally skilled, they're good, but there's they're just equally good at beating the market. What what differentiates those who succeed and those who fail is chance. What's left is chance. Same thing happens in games of skill. As long as there's a random component, certainly we saw some big elements of that last night, Eric. Yeah, I want to agree with Adi and build on this. So um, I always, I think we talked about this last week. If I had to tell you only one stat from the game, okay, what might help predict who wins? Well, here's the stat. One of the teams last night fumbled the ball five times. The other team fumbled it two times. Well, Kansas City fumbled it five times. 
San Francisco fumbled it two times. Kansas City fumbled it five times, lost one fumble. San Francisco fumbled it two times, lost both times. So all I'm commenting on is to win a game against a top opponent and have three additional fumbles, not turnovers, but fumbles, is absolutely remarkable. And in San Francisco's case, you know, the ball hitting, you know, people were criticizing the punt returner. Well, the punt returner actually did the right thing because it already hit off the back of the leg of the other 49er guy. He had to go for the ball at that point. But that led directly to seven points. And then, as Adi said, the missed extra point, there's another point. And actually, this game broke my theorem. I'm now never going to say what I'm about to say again. I decided, remember my theory, after I watched the first drive of each team, my offensive line against your defensive line and my, your offensive line against mine, I said I could predict who won the game. Well, I watched the first two series, and I'm like, man, oh, man, San Francisco is muscling Kansas City. They're just you know moving it right down their throat, gaining 8 to 10 yards a run. They're passing easy. If McCaffrey hadn't fumbled the ball, they would have scored there. But you know what? They can just do it all game long. And you know what? Andy Reid, and I saw it in last year's Super Bowl too. This guy, whoever it's, it's, it's Andy, there are the masters of making adjustments at halftime because that's what happened in the second half of that game looked nothing like the first half of the game. And the same thing was true in last year's Super Bowl where Kansas City did not punt once in the second half. The Eagles held them to, I forget if it was seven or 10 points in the first half last year. And in the second half, Kansas City scored on every drive. Okay, so to re- to recap, you doubled down on Adi's chance, but then you threw in this other wrinkle at the end, which was Kansas City adjustments. Making adjustments wanna, on the defensive side. I want to write into the record, read into the record, and underscore something Eric said in there, which was he's never going to claim again that he can tell from watching the first two series who's going to win a football game. Just note that he offered that unsolicited, yep. and so we'll, we might come back to that one over the years. Uh, Shane, number three. Yeah, I, I mean – you know, this is maybe this is kind of folded in with the luck theme as well. Uh, but I think it is a big effect size that went against San Francisco's injuries. I think, you know, losing Greenlaw right before, like, you know, they had lost Greenlaw in the first half to a non contact injury. Debo Samuel was like, you know, affected by the end of the game. And they lost, I think, the right guard, something like that. And you know, that, Kittle, I, was, Kittle was out for a ways in the game, too. Yep. yep. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of their big kind of playmakers, I mean, I think San Francisco, I've sort of seen over the last few years, whenever they're hot, I mean, when all their big playmakers are there and they, they hum. But, you know, part, I, I mean, I will say, you know, part of that kind of, I don't want to over attribute that Kansas City. I mean, I do think, I, I don't want to take anything away from Reed and their ability to adjust. Obviously, they, their dynasty, they do that type of thing. But, um, you know, it's, Part of, uh, you know, th- th- some of the adjustment was for them as 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 San Francisco just started losing playmakers to injury left and right. And I will say also that in overtime, San Francisco actually was having kind of their Christian McCaffrey canonical drive from the first half. It just got stalled out like on one sort of like, you know, it, you know, it, 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 it honestly, what did they get down to something like, you know, the, the, the 10 or something like that before kicking that field goal? So, I mean, you, you know, one random chance of a play there and they score a touchdown and we're the narrative completely changes. Well, one could I think I, I, I wondered whether anybody would say chance and everybody says chance here, um, which is, I think, a good reminder for 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 all of us. Um, you're I mean, when a game comes down to overtime, it's got to dominate, right? 
like just you know overall like it's good chance Shane, that's a be. good point whenever it is that close i'm mean, objectively that close it has to be that chance events really push things around um okay stepping into the non-chance world obviously mahomes is i mean we could talk about mahomes for the next two hours to what extent is he you know what makes him so special how special is he shane i know is the mahomes at kelsey triad you speak of yes well, in Reed as well. And I mean, it's. Yeah, no, yeah. Good. Well, Holmes Kelsey Reed triad. I even use triad. I have, yeah, it's that triplet. I'm so curious to see the components of that without each other. Just well, sort, you, know, you know, that's well, Romo was calling out Reed's play calling late in the game. Mm-hmm. And then Mahomes, as soon as he got to a microphone, was giving credit to Reed for yep. those, those, you know, red zone calls in the, on the last drive. So clearly it's a big part of it. But Mahomes, I mean, we, we talk. When we get Walder on here in the second half of the show, we have a brief conversation about whether Mahomes is a witch or not. So that that tells you all you need to know about how impressed we are. But I want to give you one other observation. This comes from Ian Boyd primarily. Ian is a commenter um, in the football space and a, and a real expert. Um, you know how well the the defensive line main, came, contained Mahomes in the first half. How, and again, they, they did a nice job in the commentary calling that lane integrity, not letting him get outside. He was harassed in a way that the Bills and the Ravens and the, never mind the Dolphins weren't even able to harass him in the playoffs. And it threw him off his game. This was kind of the story of the first half. This is what Eric was talking about when he talks about see both sides of the ball and see the lines, the, the, the Niner lines were dominating. And then that faded. And maybe that's adjustments. Of course, partly it is adjustments, but also it is something that happens with defensive lines in fourth quarters, never mind overtime. You just can't expect to maintain that kind of intensity and pressure with a defensive line. No, and, and, and I don't, again, want to take away anything from Mahomes' eliteness. I just, for a historical kind of context, it's like part of the, you know, it's it's such an elite combination right now because, you know, he's one of the few guys that kind of predictably kind of come through in those moments. And I think we, although we are in an era of a lot of young, exciting quarterbacks, we don't have what where's the kind of comp where's the where's the quarterback on like what's the quarterback that other than Brady that's had the best game against Mahomes in the playoffs? It's like you know Mahomes is gonna be there. Kind of doing his Bur- thing. Burrow. Burrow had Burrow, a- I guess, right? But I mean, you know, I, I mean I just sort of I again I think back historically to like, you know, like the Aikman Kelly or, you know, like the Montana Marino or Brady Manning. Like, you know, I think we're still we're still waiting for that. Mahomes. Well, the nice other than, thing, other than the but, tail end of Brady, we're still waiting for that kind of Mahomes sort of like you know well, competition. Quick, quick note. Quick note. This is what felt unfair about last night, and this is why I felt like it was it was a little unfair to expect that much out of Purdy. I mean, Purdy might grow into a great quarterback. He's still a he's still a, not yeah. a rookie, but he's practically a rookie. And there's just no way. I mean, even Mahomes grew as a quarterback over time. He didn't have to do anything his his rookie year. So, I mean, Shane. He, it was like it was unfair. You're asking for this battle of Titans, and that just wasn't going to happen. Burrow is, you know, Josh Allen, you got it in Buffalo in the divisional round. You got that, what you asked for in Buffalo. You did not get it in Baltimore in the finals, in the conference. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I think also we're going to get what Shane, we're going to get the test of the triumvirate because, look, Brady, the thing that was remarkable about Brady, besides winning seven Super Bowls, that's amazing. Doing it with two different teams is amazing. Let's remember, he won it in two different eras, really. And so we're going to find out because Kelsey's not going to be around forever. Kelsey's 34. During the season next year, he's going to turn 35. He doesn't have 
eight to 10 more years to play, which Mahomes easily has eight to 10 more years to play. So for Mahomes to get to where Brady is in terms of accomplishments, he's going to have to win it with another set of players and potentially even another coach. And so we'll get, we'll find out. I mean, if he can put another three Super Bowls together, let's remember, by the way, I know you know this, Shane, Brady went 10 years without winning a Super Bowl, 10 that's remarkable. His, yeah. I thought he was stuck at three. And actually, if you would ask me, at age 35, he had three Super Bowl wins. He just won four of them in the last eight years. So that may be what happens to Mahomes. It Mahomes. may be, but I, I, I just, that, that's kind of where I was sort of going with this sort of like, you know, competition thing. Somebody talked me out of him just piling up like the next three. Like, who is going to challenge? I, or is it, I'm just getting that ine- no, inevitability yeah. bias all over again. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're extrapolating too readily. And so I granted, granted they should be the favorites, but you don't want to say there's nobody can take them down. I mean, they, they have to chance can break against them at some point. Although what, what Shane is pointing out is during the Brady era, there are, I think I've got the right number. It's four. There are four other quarterbacks that won multiple Super Bowls, right? So there's obviously both Mannings, Roethlisberger, and um, I mean Rodgers was there, only won one too. But no, 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 no. But there's around. there's a four, there's a fourth quarterback. I forget who it is. One there's there's four guys. I think that each won two Super Bowls in that era. So my only comment is is that Brady went up, and Breeze was in that era. Rodgers in that era. So you could argue he's going up against all time greats. I don't believe there's anybody right now. This to Shane's point. Like who in the next five years is likely to be an all time great? I don't I, think so. I, I, I don't think that's fair to Josh Allen, who most people think is an amazing quarterback. Walter's going to come in next half and say he's his clear number two. It's remember that there's this thing. Who? How do you feel? This is a conversation today in some corners. How do you feel about the best NBA players in the era of Michael Jordan? And isn't it the case? Jordan didn't win think- for his first seven years. Eric, but then he started winning and everybody else gets denigrated as yeah. a result. Mentally, psychologically, basically denigrated just because he's they're overshadowed. Like, I don't think it's fair to Josh Allen to say, ah, who's he beating? He's not beating anybody. It's like Josh Allen would have won against many, many, many quarterbacks on multiple occasions now. Oh, yeah. Pick a right the right day. Josh Allen is truly elite. Pick the wrong day. It just uh, the inconsistency. That's what right? I mean. There's Eli nobody who's been Mahomes is the only consistently elite quarterback right now. Okay, and I mean, don't Big Ben won like his first like 16 games or something ridiculous. Don't tell me that Brady only played against elite, consistent quarterbacks. That's that's not. Mm-hmm, fair. Mm-hmm. It's not a fair. Sport. No, I, I, I no, I, I, I'm not. I again, I. I'll, I'll I'll save my Brady promotion for another day. I but, let's just focus on Mahomes. I, like it's I, like, I, but it's, I love the, like the, what is he? You know, I guess he. I'm I'm eager for the what kind of consistently kind of like somebody else who's always there in the playoffs. Go, you know, like challenging him. Well, the, I think the the piece that you guys are talking about the 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 longevity of Brady and the and the and the two hump you know era mm-hmm. that he had, and I think that one of the keys to that was something that we tend to discount, which is the personnel side of organizations. So Mahomes is not just Mahomes and, and, and Reed. Of course, it's all the players, but the big elements, the, 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 the poles of the organization are quarterback, coach, and personnel, whoever's running personnel. And the Chiefs have made some really gutsy, 
ultimately wise, it seems, decisions about personnel over the years. Belichick was doing some interesting things back in the day, and he knew how to pick the right guys to play his system with Brady. And they, they, the person, the the what they put around him was an important part of the story, and it's a huge part of the longevity story. And so, the, the, an organization that's going to compete with Reed Mahomes and the personnel folks there are going to have to have essentially at least two of those and probably all three poles to really get in there. A dynasty requires really those three would be the claim. Yeah. And I mean, again, they can lose to a lot, you know, it's not like, and I'm not saying like, you know, like that, that, you know, Mahomes is uh, that this kind of triad is somehow facing kind of overall weak competition. I just do think because it's such a strong sort of t- well-built team that it, 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 it it's hard for those sort of next level well, things. To let, me also level. Say, let me also say, by the way, at the end of the game regulation, I'm like, Oh my God, Andy Reed has blown it again. He's not left enough time on the clock so that Patrick Mahomes doesn't get more than one shot at the end zone. So I'm thinking to myself, he may have actually lost in the Super Bowl here because, you know, again, he I think he let 25 seconds run off the clock before actually he still had a timeout. And I'm like, they're not going to have enough plays. I mean, maybe they'll win the game, but maybe they won't. I'm thinking Andy Reid's done it again. Yeah, that's very fair. Very fair. And it's not, these are out of sample predictions at this point. This is not even uh, hindsight bias. Adi. I, I, one of the comments from Eric Eager that I saw, our buddy Eric, was that uh, this is supposed to be rebuilding these last couple of years for KC. How does that figure into your dynasty calculations? Well, but I, I think they made some decisions to let some players go. They, they knew they had to make adjustments when Mahomes went from rookie contract to full free agent contract. And then the questions, where do you let go of talent and where do you not? Like, where do you, where do you put your money? So parting ways with Tyreek Hill was one of the most obvious ones. And they, can they manufacture enough from their wideouts without him on kind of a budget? And you could argue that, you know, they didn't for the regular season, but they did in the end. Anyway, it's obviously going to we're going to argue a little bit with the facts on the table already, which ain't great. But those are the kinds of decisions you have to make. No. And I mean, I think Eric probably, you know, I mean, rebuilding is a word that I don't think anybody was really applying to Kansas City. Like, but, you know, I think dynastic teams for these great teams do have to continuously retool as, you know, you know, like, and and, and I mean, they've been great about drafting like a young secondary. I mean, they're going to lose probably Chris Jones this season. So that'll be something that they'll somehow have. I'm sure. Sorry. Shane's point real quick. Belichick, what he was brutal, ruthless in those years about letting guys go who he thought wasn't worth the value. It doesn't matter how much they put sweat and teared for cried for the team. He cut people out when it, when it was time, he was just ruthless and cold and you have to do that. And most Jerry Jones can't do that. Most of these personnel decision makers can't do it. I just want to say a couple quick things. Um, one analysis I, I want to see, we can look at it afterwards is let's remember the gauntlet that Kansas city just went through to win this super bowl. They beat Miami, Buffalo, Baltimore, and San Francisco. Now, that I don't that that I can't is, tell if you're being sarcastic. No, I'm not being sarcastic. Oh, okay, okay. And they okay. beat two of them on the road. Okay. I'm just commenting. Yeah. No, I'm being serious. This was an impressive Kansas City win, I think. And the second thing I want to give some credit to San Francisco, and I'd love your thoughts, Kate, in the last minute we have. They made it to the Super Bowl despite one of the worst trades in history in getting Trey Lance. 
They gave up three number one picks to get Trey Lance. And despite that, they were able to overcome it and go to their second. Forget they didn't win the game. They were winning against Kansas City in two Super Bowls, and they gave up a ton of equity for the number one or two pick. And it turns out he never really even played for them. Yeah. Well, it's offset nicely with the with the luck they got on the Purdy pick. Um, one, that's the shortest answer. Um, but they've done some other things right. I mean, remember they traded for McCaffrey midseason last year, and there were plenty of folks. The the analytics cognoscenti would say you would never do that for a running back. They're just not going to make that much difference. And it does seem like McCaffrey has been a critical piece for that offense. And so they saw that they pulled the trigger on it. They made you're not, not going to be 100 percent on these personnel moves. We and I, I agree that was a that was, it was it seemed at the time, Eric, that that was a bad decision. But um, they're they're just they're, you hope that you hit more than you don't get because you're gonna you're gonna miss some. I think is the short. And then you hope that you hit some, you know least most irrelevant pick most irrelevant player picks on occasion as well with Purdy all right guys that has been our first half of the show we still have a second half we've got Seth Waller coming on break into some of the more detailed decisions and analyses of the Super Bowl come back and join us after the break you're listening to Wharton Moneyball on business radio welcome back welcome back to Wharton Moneyball Welcome back to the second hour, second half hour, I should say, second half hour of our show this week, our sports analytics show, the second half hour being our traditional guest segment since we moved to the one hour format. On this Monday following the Super Bowl, we have Seth Welder. We sought Seth out. We tried to get Seth because he's been so active the last 24 hour, something less than 24 hours post game. Always fun to talk football with Seth, but especially fun in the wake of a fantastic Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58. Seth, Sports Analytics Wire writer at ESPN since 2017, frequent guest on our show. I think of him as the channel between all things analytics, kind of behind the scenes at ESPN and the rest of the world, which is a terrifically important job. Seth, welcome back. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you all, too. Um, appreciate you making time. How um how are you doing in the wake of the game? How, how how are you feeling about it? How how did you consume it? What was your experience like? What's on your mind? These are the things we're interested in. You know, it's funny because I think um, I've been t- we've anticipated a fourth or sorry an overtime playoff game since they changed the rules. It didn't happen at all in twenty you know last season, and then and had gone the entire postseason this year, and so we were on the verge of it not happening again. And it, it's a really interesting scenario and then like of course it happens right at the biggest moment in in this super bowl and it was fun to see happen it was funny because i felt like in the moment there wasn't that much focus on the decisions but maybe that makes sense because like you know a super bowl hangs in the balance so we're not gonna spend the entire overtime talking about Kyle Shanahan's decision off the coin toss but then once it ends it sort of really picks up steam and and of course it did and it's an interesting one and there are a lot of factors and it's it's really close and so i've been thinking a lot about that since since the game ended you know it's interesting it's, it's such a norm to take the ball when you win the flip in football in general you know that's just the way that's just what happens in football that it just kind of felt normal at first when you took it if you weren't thinking strategically oh this is a special moment this is the moment that's been analyzed if you weren't thinking that you're like oh yeah they won the flip to get the ball adi yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I, I have a, a question: is is there is there like an answer that people have thought about ahead of time, 
Um, and obviously, it depends on the team parameters. But just to make it clear, there's a trade-off. If you go first, you don't have you're missing information, right? And we saw that actually in the game. You 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 don't know what the other team's going to do. On the other hand, if you go first, if it's tied on the way after the first two possessions, you have a huge advantage. So you get an advantage if the tie, but you lose some in information. And for me, it seems like a really hard way to, 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 to figure that out because you have to specify parameters and I don't really have a good way to do that. So what are the answers? <laughs> At least yeah, so yeah, this is, this is what, the, what, what you laid out is exactly right. You have these countervailing forces and according to our you know, simulations, and I think this is generally consensus, they're almost perfectly balanced. So Brian, when Brian ran his sims here on this Brian situation. Burke. Brian, Burke. Brian Burke. Yeah, sorry. Brian Burke, uh, godfather of football analytics, you know, our colleague and and does does every all the all the things that make me be able to talk to talk to you. When he did it, and we especially when we forced the first team in a touchdown touchdown scenario, the first team kicks and the second team goes for two. This didn't come up, but that is a like the rational choice. He had the first team winning 50.2% of the time and the second team winning 49.8. That's, I mean, you are way within the margin of error there. And all the other parameters that I think we're probably going to get into that are not factored in the model, that could easily swing you one way or another. And so I think you're starting from this place of both options are are defensible. And you really got to think about these kind of small, uh, somewhat ephemeral factors that that might move you uh, one way or another. I can tell you that that I think is when I, I've talked to people around the league. And so I, I did a quick survey. I I talked to 10 people, analytics staffers in the league this morning, uh, this morning, excuse me, to ask their opinions and opinions were split. And this is a group of people that, you know, have all thought about this question, right? They've all, they've all have to be the person that has the answer if their team goes into the postseason, and then they have to be prepped to say, Hey, this game goes to overtime, what are we going to do? And so they've all thought about it a lot and, and opinions were split, even split, not just what do you do in general, but specifically if you were the 49ers, what would you do in last night's game? Yeah, so, so oh, sorry, though. I was, yeah, so Seth, the way I would think about it, and you tell me if I'm the way I'm, I was thinking, by the way, shockingly, the two people, two of the people I was watching the game with, the minute they put up on the screen before the coin toss what the overtime rules were to remind us, the immediate discussion went to be who should take it first. And I thought about the following way. Let's think about it from San Francisco's perspective. Let's think of the possible outcomes. And you just correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, if San Francisco takes the ball and doesn't score, they're in trouble. If they score, if they don't, if they score a field goal, which they did, you know, Kansas City is going to, I don't want to say go for the win, but like they'll be super aggressive. And even on fourth and ones, fourth and twos, fourth and threes, they're going to go for it. Also, it turns out we found out later from Andy Reid, but you even predicted this. Even if San Francisco scores a six and a one, you know Kansas City's going for a six and a two. They are, Andy Reid had already said, by the way, after the game, he said we would go for it. So I'm still trying to understand the scenario where I do understand Brian Burke's simulation. I could see the counterbalancing forces, but I'm just trying to play out the decision tree where San Francisco going first is actually a 50-50. And I just, I just, I'm still having trouble seeing it. So I think two things. So in the, in the general state, if you're right about the field goal, like you kick the field goal, you are, 
if you're not guaranteeing that the Kansas City will go for will kick a field goal or will go for it, I should say, on fourth down, but you're certainly inciting a more aggressive version of them, right? Like that, that is absolutely true because they don't want to enter into a situation of a true sudden death where they don't have the ball. Exactly. But there's a lot of worlds where you still kick that field goal, right? You have a long, you have a long fourth down and you know, now the choice is, okay, yeah, I kick this field goal, I make it, I'm losing, I'm sort of in a 60-40 losing situation. But like, I don't know, if it's fourth and nine, uh, you know, that's a, that's a lot, that's a, maybe a worse proposition. So there is that. And then same with the, same with zero, zero, right? Like you don't score anything, which, you know, might've been, might, might've occurred. And now, now the Chiefs are going to be in a situation where maybe they are in a, a potential punt situation. Again, I think they're going to be aggressive because of what you said, but it's it's not guaranteed. I mean, they may they may want to punt if it's four again. If it's, like, if it's fourth and nine and they're deep in their own territory, if they don't punt, then they are giving and they fail. Then they've given the ball back to San Francisco, who can win the game with a, a short field goal. Let me add one other reason why San Francisco might want to have wanted to go for or to take the ball first. And this is what I think Romo mentioned on the broadcast. And I think it was valid, which is that they were coming off of a 10 play defensive drive. And so when we talk about these like situational factors that might swing you, the reality is their defense has played the entire game. They're just coming off a drive. You might think, you know what? My defense is going to have to play at some point here. I would rather them get rest first. Uh-huh. Another factor that I don't think, uh, I haven't seen a lot, but you can sort of tell me whether the analytics discussions or the simulations could reflect this, is if you do take the ball first and you get any amount of points, a turnover then ends the game. Like it is sudden death in terms of a change of possession, right? And so, you know, I mean... It, I mean, obviously, you don't you don't necessarily you don't want your strategy to be entirely based on kind of the randomness of turnovers. But that is kind of, you know, a, you know, if Kansas City had turned the ball over on that drive, that that is the game right there. A hundred percent. And you, you, you can you can imagine that the Sims account for that, given the best they can on extrapolating the probability of a turnover. One question I have about the stem and I know, Seth, this isn't your son. This is a question for Brian, I guess, but it might be a question that you guys have discussed. How, what extent do the Sims adapt their strategies and probabilities given those extreme circumstances? So for, for example, just what Shane suggested, it had to be that Mahomes' chance of throwing a prob, uh, an interception is going to be a little bit lower on that drive given that he knows that that ends the game. And so what probability do you put in the Sim? You've got one historically, it's probably shrunken from his unique to some league average, but now you need to shrink it again in some way to account for this circumstance. And it's a similar, more general question that maybe the Sim can handle on what's the chance that they kick a field goal if they have the ball first? And this is, in some ways, I think the most interesting question. Right. What? How does the, you make Casey take the ball first versus get it second after you've scored. What's the difference in the expected points? out of that drive. What do you, what do you, how much do you drive down the expected points, if any, by making them take the ball first? It's got to go down. It has to be that they're more willing to settle for a field goal. What is that Delta? And does the Sim capture that? I, I just open questions. Maybe you could try to capture it, but it'd be a little tricky. I think the better questions for Brian and like, definitely part of what you're getting at is true, which is like, 
we are in an uncharted water of game states. So we can try to, we know how football works and this is still football mostly, but you're right that the incentives are different. And I do think that that, that matters. And to some degree, it would be impossible to be perfect in, in that regard. I think your second point is interesting about, in fact, especially in this game and perhaps, or, and, and I do think an argument for going for taking the ball second is specifically not just it's who are the coaches in this game. Both of these coaches are generally suboptimally conservative when it comes to fourth downs. And so <laughs> if you have if and so the first possession coach is the one who has the opportunity to make a suboptimal decision. That's right. That's right. That would be sort of like absurd inception level to think like, wow. I am suboptimal induce my opponent. Can, Therefore, I should. Uh, <laughs> Seth, I wanted your opinion. Because but we also ran, Kyle Shanahan went for a, a very. A, yeah, that's what I was going to say. We, 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 ran our, we ran our Brill Weiner model on all those tough decisions. And we found him going for it on a place where we the model was saying absolute field goal. I mean, it wasn't absolute, absolute. The fourth but, and three? Um, I forget. We, we went for he go, he went for it late in the game. I, I'm not remembering exactly. I think it's the fourth and three where our model said field goal was the right was the obvious choice, and he went for it, and uh, oh, they got it. It was successful. Um, so we had that as a go. That was fourth and three, the twelve forty six, twelve just under thirteen minutes. I should, I should check 30. to see where that. that might, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's the one. It was successful. Yeah. They went for it. Yes, they went for it, and then they succeeded. We, I had there was a there was a model that we had that said field goal is the right move and would have gone to either tie the game, um, and it was a late game tie and the goal going for it. And actually, we were treating San Francisco as the favorite in our model because I think they were. Yeah. Um, um, and and uh, so tying the game when you're the favorite generally is the right move with there's with there's plenty of time remaining. Um, just that's the that's the heuristic. Um, but we got that as about a ninety percent confidence that field goal was uh, was the right move. So I'm interested that you, you you had that as a goal. All the other ones I think were 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 we concurred. I don't think we disagreed. They leaned. They weren't they weren't obvious choices, but they we didn't have it as an obvious choice. We had it as a a lean go, but I was shocked that they that he went for it because he's one of the most conservative coaches when it comes to game management. I have to pull up. We we tweeted something. I have to look at it while, while you guys. Go. I want to give you. I want to give you an observation from our friend Neil Payne, who has a Substack writing um, pretty much daily, great stuff regularly, and he has a neat observation, unbelievable, really observation about Mahomes this morning. And I'm curious, what two things, two things, two things here. I'm going to give you this observation. One, as statisticians, how much should we put on it? Because this is, of course, small sample size. And then two. Do you incorporate it into your decision-making if you're San Francisco? So the observation is about game-winning drives in the playoffs. So since 2001, so this is a lot of years, since 2001, there have been 125 drives in the playoffs, fourth quarter or overtime. The drive ended with under a minute left to play, and the offensive team either tied or trailed by seven points or fewer going into the drive. Okay, so this is end of game, chance to win or tie, playoffs only, all right, 125 of these. What do you think? You're just let's play a quiz. What do you think that the uh, the success rates of those tries were? How often of the 125 in the last 23 years did they tie or win on that drive? Let's start there. Base rate of success. I'm gonna need you to say it again. You put it. You, this is drives that end under a minute. They start where? Anywhere. Anywhere. 
start anywhere. I mean, that's but the team that got the ball is down seven points or less, so they could either tie the game or supposedly win the game. That's right. And the how many times did they did they uh, tie or take the lead? Out okay, of 120. The answer is 40%. I was That's gonna guess district. 40%. You didn't let me I would I would I would have gone lower. That's interesting. Uh, I was, yeah, I was gonna say be quicker. 30s. I would I'm with Seth and Shane. I, th- I would have thought it was lower than that. But let's just go on and see what happens historically. So there there are Tom Brady has more of these than anybody else. He's had eleven of these. What do you think his base rate was? What do you think his success rate was? He was successful five of those eleven, which is above base rate, a little bit above base rate, right? Um, Manning had seven of them. He converted on two. Breeze had six. He converted on three. Eli Manning, four, converted on two. You get the idea. Mahomes, including last night, has had seven, and he's converted all seven. There's some selection bias there, though, because we're talking about drives that end within a minute. So you have like drive. There's other drives that are feasibly could fit into this bucket, but you stall yeah. out ahead of time. That's true, and maybe we should consider that. But they're trying to. I think they're trying to. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Truly, end of game. And so let's just assume that it's a reasonable sample. Obviously, I mean, 125 is a nice play, pool to play with. He points out that the best quarterbacks, by most judgment do well in this metric, but then he comes in and says, Mahomes, you know, something like the average points per drive on these things is 1.7. Okay, you know where I'm going to go with this. Let me, let me yeah, finish up for a second. The average yeah. points on these drives is 1.7, and Mahomes generates 3.4, twice the average points. Okay, my point was seven drives, seven successes. Is that, you know, is that, how? what do we do with that? A small sample, and then do you, how, to what extent do you consider that when you're 49ers? Well, that was going to be my question. That was going to be my question to Seth. Was that, Seth, if I told you now, you know, San Francisco's got whatever, fourth and three, fourth and four in overtime, but I then provide, and you said, oh, they should kick the field goal. And now I said, oh, wait, sorry, Seth, I forgot to tell you that Patrick Mahomes is seven for seven in this situation. How much does that, I, I do this every week on the show, so it's not just for you. How much does that sway your decision about what to do if you were San Francisco? That's the question I was going to ask, Kate. I, I don't think it. I don't think it sways a lot. I would. I would say um, it's not infeasible to me. In fact, I think it's quite possible that we. It, it's certainly possible that we underrate the best quarterbacks in like maybe must pass situations or something like that. But like. The seven for seven, like Mahomes' skill is baked into whatever I'm doing before I heard the the seven for seven. So I guess I guess that's what I would, I didn't I would move the needle say for there. You. Okay, fair enough. Um, statistician friends and colleagues, what do you do with uh, seven for seven on a base rate of forty percent? What do you what do you make? What's your posterior Mahomes' actual chances of success on these things? <laughs> Two thirds. Yeah, I'd move him up. I'm, I'd move him up to like two thirds. That's kind of his success rate. Up That's, kind of he, That's you know, huge. Right? I would, I would shrink down. I wouldn't go that far. Well, but you know, you could say maybe it's not Mahomes, but like, what are these other elite quarterbacks? And maybe that kind of group is sort of two thirds, and so maybe that is. Or it's, I mean, again, we're, 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 the unit we're talking about is Mahomes, Kelsey, Reed, not Mahomes, right? So. Yeah, that's right. Like it's kind of like you know it's it, it's sort of like it's 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 this kind of combination of offensive like offensive Hall of Fame like three offensive Hall of Famers at yeah. the same time basically that base rate 
I could I could put that up to two. But I can also do the following math, which is to say he only needs to go three for his next eight to get to my two thirds, Adi. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. Uh, or even you know he just has to be three. He has to be just base rate for the next yeah. eight attempts, and the you know ten out of fifteen is still two thirds. So I, I'm feeling good about my sixty percent number. Or or because we haven't talked about my favorite quarterback recently. Brady Brady went 10 for 10 in his first 10 playoff games. If we'd been sitting here after that 10th game and been like, is this guy just never going to lose? I mean, you, <laughs> you know, know I mean, you got to regress. When, when Mahomes started that drive, I would yeah. popped into my head was the Brady against the Eagles uh, in the Super Bowl where the Eagles, oh, the Eagles yeah. won. And I'm sort of mm-hmm. thinking like in what in a moment Good that point. felt the moment inevitable and it felt inevitable that Brady would lead them down the field. Yep. And instead That's right. And they lose the game. Okay, so I, I really, I didn't know this is where this is going to go, but I really like it because a, a minor theme over our ten years of this show is that when sports really begins to feel inevitable, take the other side. I mean, really be careful whenever it starts. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, "This is going to happen." We've seen it happen again. Tennis has given us many examples of this. Okay, so now let's try to be. Let's do what we just did, but let's do it more seriously. I mean, I think Mahomes is basically a witch. Okay, this is my default response to my nephew who loves him and uh, as, a, as a Texas Tech guy, he's like, just a witch, you know? And witches are 100% more or less. Okay, so he's probably not 100. What do you think he is? So when Brady gets that ball against the Eagles and you know it's Brady and it feels inevitable, and then you remember Audie, your buddy Audie, who's always telling you to shrink those forecasts. Great, shrink them. But what are you going to shrink it to? This is a chance for us to move off of witch Let's go which plus Audi. Which plus Audi leaves you with a wiser perspective on Mahomes next time you see him with a chance to win the game. What does which plus Audi give you? You personally. Me personally. Mm. Oh, man. This is what I call the consultant's dilemma in general. When you have a strategy that works for on average across many uh, um, in many problems, but you're asking for the optimal in a single one. Mm, that's right uh, yeah you gotta be all subjective so how about this for a calculus you uh (laughs) um i think it's um two-thirds more like i think it's only probably like a third that he is inevitable like that mahomes is a witch and it actually is inevitable so so i I put a third probability on one a a third times one and then i i average that with the base (laughs) which is like 0.4 and you get around two thirds, which is why I said are interesting. You know, Shane, I'm asking a question for you right now. How do you know he's a witch? I don't. I, I mean, that's no, that's 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 one component of the mixture distribution. We'll never that know. Is Patrick we'll never Mahomes. know. We have he's to predict that uncertainty. It's fair. That's yeah, well, right. He's a he's a third probability of being a witch. Well, here's what. But but let me just say, by the way, if um you watch the first half of that game, all of a sudden that didn't look like the inevitable Patrick Mahomes in the first half of that game. And, you know, what I'm still waiting for, I'm still waiting for someone to play a perfect game against Kansas City, and I want to see what happens. Because, for example, Christian McCaffrey doesn't fumble on that opening drive. Yeah, The punt that led to seven points directly, the missed extra point, which changed the entire dynamic of that fourth quarter because it yeah. was been a four-point lead. I just want – I'm not saying I'm not rooting for Kansas City and Mahomes doesn't deserve it. He deserves all of it. What I'm saying is I want to see somebody play a clean game against them, and I want to, I want to see Jalen Hurts not fumble the ball at the end of the first half. 
in the in last year's Eagles Super Bowl. I want to see other teams not essentially hand him seven points, ten. This ru- this, this particular points. run seemed a lot like that to me, okay. at least to my eyes. I just want to say I'm glad you brought up the punt because the muffed punt was the highest win probability the play of the whole game. Highest yeah. win probability swing of the whole game, and. Yeah. Uh, that was big. Okay, that 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 one you can't argue with, right? Because that's just like that is more or less pure chance. Uh, I don't. I, maybe that rookie was in the wrong spot. I don't know, but more or less that's chance. So you can't argue with that. I do want to push back on a couple of things, which I'm and I'm not just a Mahomes homer here at all, not remotely. But one, Eric, it, it could it could well be that teams make more of those mistakes and play suboptimal when they're playing a team like the Chiefs. They feel more pressure. They feel Absolutely. like absolutely. I think yeah. this happened to the Ravens, for example. We had this conversation two weeks ago. The other thing is sometimes the Chiefs do things or whatever great teams do things that alter play in a way that is a little bit below the radar. So, for example, when Josh Allen was threw into the end zone pretty aggressively, but he had a player there. And it would have tied the game, if I remember correctly. I forget the exact details. But Chris Jones got to him just as he let the ball go, and so it's an incomplete pass. That's Chris Jones interfering with the execution of that play. So you could say bad pass by Allen, or man, that was Allen being too aggressive. Or you could say mm, Chris Jones pretty good defensive lineman. So there are those elements as well. Then the last thing is, and this is the most bogus of all of these, there's this funny thing about Mahomes, how fast he runs. I think Kevin Clark is a big um, advocate of this thing about Mahomes running. He just, he runs fast enough. He's just fast enough than the other guy. There's maybe a little bit of a, how well do the Chiefs play? You know, they play just well enough to win the damn game. I mean, this is the third Super Bowl that they've won coming from 10 points behind. It's that's, not like that. That's first a shocking stat, by the way. Yeah. That's yeah. a ridiculously impressive. matter of fact, it's the, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the last one, of course, being, well, against the Eagles at halftime, they obviously showed highlights of the previous 49ers Super Bowl. They, I'd forgotten they were down 10 points with seven minutes left in the game. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I mean, I think by 11. Had, Eric, you asked sort of like the question, like what uh, you want to see what happens. So you basically would like to see what happens when a team plays a perfect game against the Kansas City Correct. Chiefs. Can they actually beat the feed there? Your own Buccaneers, I think, probably did the closest to that in the playoffs, right? Is a you know that that Super Bowl was a team playing a perfect game against Kansas City. Right. That's correct. That's that's a good point. Yep. All right, Seth, we're, we're, you've got a lot of responsibilities today of all days, and we want to turn you free, but we do want to know as we um, settle in for the long cold winter, and we need something to warm our minds and hearts. What are some storylines you're anticipating in the 2024? season or what has your interest going into the season well certainly the quarterback carousel i'm curious to see how this all shakes out i think fields gets traded uh and i'll be curious to see who decides to make that make the move for him i think Kirk cousins is a really in an interesting spot and if there's a team that that could look you know could look to add him if he if he bolts from minnesota i think that's that's very feasible um, I'm I'm doing a quarterback carousel story right now that I'm that we're gonna okay. run a few weeks and like the the team that I keep coming back to is Atlanta for him. You know, it's the kind of team that I think could be pretty sneaky good and and maybe they make sense as a as a kind of win now option that could go for Cousins. So I think that to me is gonna be play a play a big role certainly in 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 how things go. You know, you've got other guys out there, Russell Wilson. Does Ryan Tannehill just take a backup job or uh, 
So I don't know. We'll be see. But I, I, I certainly think Fields, Fields goes. And I, Jack, I think on that quarterback goes. question. So not the carousel part, but just quarterbacks being so important. Are there any other quarterbacks, maybe not on the carousel, that you see taking steps either up or back that might be especially consequential? Ooh, like taking a like playing better next season yeah, or playing like yeah, continuing development or in a different whatever it's different OC. Who knows? Good question. Okay, so I would say um, let me start with Fields because he's a a con, you know sort of a controversial guy because I, I mean this in it. I'm pretty down on him, but I think that the one you know because a lot of the questions that were asked about fields were oh you know what about the offensive line oh about what about the receivers those are basically answered so the one question left is kind of like a new coaching new coaching situation could he could could that be the the thing that someone that lets him just run you know run and uh could that be the difference and so i wonder i wonder about that i guess i would say he would be that's this is like kind of last chance for him in my opinion to, yeah. to take a last step, someone who could take a step up. I mean, look, I think Jordan Love played like incredibly well in the second half. And part of me, part of me is like, ooh, don't, you know, split. I'm always, you know, wary of the splits. And I think about Baker Mayfield and the second yeah. half of his rookie season when he was like, oh, you know, in the Freddie Kitchens time. And it was like, oh, it's amazing. And it turned out it didn't really pan out just from the second half. But we have some reason, like when you have a younger player to think, that maybe the second half really is indicative. And so I do think you got to think that Jordan Love has like this, this kind of upside potential. So let me, let me give you a couple of specifics. Um, uh, Joe Burrow disappeared. Matty Dats is asking about Joe Burrow. Joe, Joe Burrow took, took over the world a couple of years ago and has been injured more or less constantly since. And another is Justin Herbert under a new, a new coach, Jim Harbour. I think Burrow, you can pretty much write off this year to injury. And I feel like he, He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I think he might be. I like. I I think to me, it's a very clear Mahomes one, Allen two. Everybody else is behind that. Um, and like in terms of predicting forward, not not descriptively of this season. And so I, I do think you said Allen, not just to be clear, not Allen, not Burrow, not Lamar Jackson. You think it's clearly Mahomes, Allen, and then a big gap. Oh yeah, I do. I do for sure. I think, yeah, I, maybe that might be a little bit of a take, but to me, those two are the best. Okay. Two. But we're, let's keep on saying with this, like dynamics of next year, things okay. moving around. Here's another one for you. The gap between Stroud and Bryce persist, come all the way back, come halfway back. What's going what's to happen with that gap? I'll say, I'll say persist. I've been, you know, look, you can definitely overcome a poor rookie season. I mean, Jared Goff, had just a horrendous rookie season. I will say persist though. I think the safest bet is that you're going to see what Seth, happens. The safest bet is always regression to the mean. Always, always. You're talking to four statisticians or quasi statisticians here. The safest bet, your words is always regression to the mean. Is, is this, is the is regression. Okay. What is the, is that we're talking me is this is is the safest bet regression to mean NFL starting quarterback no, caliber? No, I don't think so, right? No, and so no. that's why I would say that Bryce. What Young, is the mean? That's right. Okay, so yeah. you think Stroud's mean is this all-time best rookie performance? No, I'm saying that Young's I, mean is just like I don't know a, a player who was drafted, not you know, not okay. not like starting NFL caliber quarterback. Okay. All right, listen, Seth, we gotta let you go. Always so much fun to talk to you. Thanks for making time for us today, and thanks for all the work you're doing. Thank you all. 
Absolutely. Seth Walder, sports analytics writer at ESPN. He's been there since 2017. Longtime friend of the show. One of our favorites to talk to, especially here in the wake of Super Bowl 58. That has been another episode of Wharton Moneyball, another full hour on sports analytics for the whole crew. Eric Bradlow, Shane Jensen, Audie Weiner, been here for the whole time. Matty Dats, the boss man. Deion Simpkins, the associate boss man. We have intern Kelly doing lots of good work for us these days. Many thanks to her as well. And thanks to you guys for listening. Appreciate you being with us. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. Enjoy your sports.